Good morning, church family. Today's scripture reading is found in Genesis chapter 1. We'll be reading the first 10 verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning, the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. If you do not yet have a copy of the Creed, we've got a couple of guys who will hand you one. We have enough for more than one per family, so we want each of you to have one. You don't have to, you don't have to uh, just take one. So if you did not yet get a copy of the Creed and you want one, slip up your hand and we'll, most of you got one. Great, okay. What I want to ask you this morning uh, while you're getting these is do you like to do you like to make stuff i mean most people like to make stuff where's the place that you like to make stuff because if we could find out a little bit about the place where you might like to make stuff then we would know more about what you like to make so is it the kitchen some of you like to make things in the kitchen um and and you get in there and you just start even dreaming up new recipes, and you're like, I'm going to try this. You don't have to report back on that, but, right? So some of you, um, some of you like to work in the shop, woodworking. We have some woodworkers, and the fact that the pulpit here it was crafted by a German Baptist woodworker who is incredibly gifted at, you know, taking raw material and making it something beautiful some of you some of you have a shop and you just use it to put the vacuum cleaner that's broken up on the workspace and try to see if you can fix it and get all the nastiness out of the bottom of that brush that's burning up because it won't turn right because all the hair that's in the corner of it so or maybe you try to fix other things um some people like to work outside you like to cultivate. We, we have some family members who like to cultivate and grow. Every year you can expect amazing organic lettuce from her garden. Uh, or we have those who just like to work with more static material, like rocks, and make stairways or make a fire pit or, you know, just do stuff with... So you like to make stuff. Here's the question. Where does that desire and creativity and interest come from where do you think that comes from 
Who do you think that comes from? It comes from God. In fact, one of the, uh, I think one of the most important ways that we bear the image of God is, is in creativity and in this sense of industry and in this interest that we have to, to make things. I mean, just to simply make stuff. I, I would go so far as to say that it's like God's signature on your life. Like when an, artist, when an artist finishes something, oftentimes there's a signature. Even if there's not a signature, there's a signature, right? Like you can decide this is a real Picasso or this is a real Monet or this is a real, who's a famous sculptor? Uh, I'm drawing a blank. But th- this is like there's a signature. And sometimes, literally, artists will sign the painting or the work with a signature. I want you to think about your ability to create and craft and make as a signature on your life. God signing, I've been here. (laughs) This is my work. This is my creativity. Your own ability to be creative and do things that are beautiful and amazing, simple or complex, didn't just come from you, didn't come from us. It came from God. Here's the most amazing thing. The place that God likes to work, which tells us a little bit about who he is, right? It's not the kitchen. It's not the workshop. Think about this. The place where God likes to work isn't the kitchen or the workshop or the front yard. It's the entire cosmos. It's the entire universe. The universe is his canvas. The whole world is God's playground. Every square inch of the universe is claimed by his artistic privilege. And he's doing something all the time, something beautiful and amazing. So who's the greatest craftsman of all time? The most brilliant engineer to conceive of a design or the most gifted of all musicians or the most creative of all creatives? Who would that be? That'd be God. That would be God himself. And the Apostles' Creed gives us the answer to who it is that's the most creative of all creatives. In the very first line of the Creed, it says this, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker or creator of heaven and earth. Those who wrote the creed were trying to make a statement about the comprehensive creativity of God. All things. Heaven, everything you could see when you look up, and everything you, you could see when you look out and down. All things. Maker of heaven and earth. And so we want to think today about that amazing idea. And I think this one phrase reinforces three truths from Scripture three truths that capture the Christian view on creation. They are these. God created all things. Secondly, all those things, heaven and earth and all that's in it, display his glory, wisdom, and craftsmanship. Three distinct things. Glory, wisdom, and craftsmanship. God created all things. All those things display his glory, his wisdom, and craftsmanship. And then third, Humanity, this is mind-blowing, mind, yeah, this is mind-blowing, humanity is his best work. 
So I want you to think about those, those with me this morning. Number one, let's start with God created, God created all things. Genesis 1, Mike just read for us, Genesis 1, 1 through 10. Look back at chapter 1 and verse 1 on page 1. I love that. Um, and just look at the first sentence of the, of the Bible with me. So if you could just open your Bible back up and look at the very first sentence of the book of Genesis, which are the first words of the entire Bible, who is the subject of the first sentence of the Bible? Who's the subject? God. Look at this. In the beginning, just, just kind of slow down for a minute. Let's, let's not miss the first point of the Bible. God created the heavens and the earth. That's the most important thing to get from Genesis chapter 1, that God is at work, that God did something. And, and, and there's so much other discussion that's had about and surrounding Genesis chapter 1 with regard to the question of faith and science, and I'm going to come back to that in just a second. But what you would not want to miss, which the creed points out, uh, again, the creed's giving us theological clarity. You would not want to miss this point. God is the one who makes the heaven and the earth, heaven and earth, and all that's in it. So by the time you get to, to, to the first 10 verses, or you get all the way through chapter one, you, you, you could say with J.I. Packer this, the message of Genesis one and two is this, you've seen the sky, you've seen the ocean, you've seen the sun and the moon and the stars, you've observed all of this, vegetation, animals, insects, big things and little things, you've marveled at the complexity of human beings with their skills and powers and deep feelings of fascination and attraction and affection. Fantastic, isn't it? Well, now you need to meet the one who made it. Genesis 1 and 2 is introducing you, he says. You need to shake hands with the artist. You were thrilled by the, mu the music. You need to know the composer. It's as if God is saying, now that you've enjoyed all these works of art, you have to meet the one who made it. The purpose of Genesis 1 and 2 is to show us the creator more so than the creation. And then he goes on to say, be careful not to get too bogged down into the physical science of it because the book is not written to communicate the details of physical science. And I think that's an important reminder to us. Um, and, and by that, J.I. Packer does not mean that faith and science are at odds with one another or that the Bible cannot be trusted on matters of origins and of creation. He doesn't mean that. He simply means the Bible's not a science book. It's not intended to give you the precise physical details of a science book. Now, some of you may be struggling with the Genesis creation account from a, a couple different angles. Some of you may be struggling with the Genesis creation account and reconciling it with scientific, uh, with, with uh, did I just say scientific? Well, so scientific, that's amazing. We're making up words this morning. Okay. Um, so some of you may genuinely be struggling with, with modern science as you read the text. And I want to say to you that a conservative, evangelical reading of the text, one that affirms the veracity and trustworthiness of Scripture, may not be as opposed to science as you might think. So from those of you who are coming from that 
that side of things. I want to also say a word of caution to those of you who are convinced, maybe from another angle, that Genesis 1 teaches a precise, exact age of the earth. Because we, we don't really read that in the Genesis 1 and 2 narrative. So be careful that you don't read into the text. We, if we're Bible believers and we want to affirm the truthfulness and trustworthiness of Scripture, we want to be careful not to bring too much to the passage, to the text itself. Be careful not to hold too tightly to a precise age of the earth based on Genesis 1 and 2. It's simply not the intention of the text. Moses... Under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, I do think Moses was the author of Genesis, of the first five books of the Bible. But, but Moses, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, is not trying to make the point about detailed physical science. That's just not what he's doing, and probably for good reason. So, again, the creed gives us theological clarity about the main point of Genesis, which is God makes this whole world for himself and for his glory and all the people who are going to live in it and have dominion on it and flourish in it and, and make it a beautiful place, that they would return that glory to him. Some, um, some atheists are more honest than others. One other thought I want to throw on the table this morning before we leave this first point. Uh, Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, points out that some atheists are more honest than other atheists. And, and he's contrasting Richard Dawkins, who some of you know, may, the author of The God Delusion. You may be familiar with some of his work. Dawkins, um, he says, is not, is not as honest as somebody like, say, Stephen Jay Gould, who was the late Harvard scientist and evolutionist as well as an atheist. But, but listen to what Gould says in contrast to, say, a Richard Dawkins. Gould said this, either half of my colleagues are enormously stupid, like meaning half of the Harvard Science Department. He's saying, and, and this is years ago, but certainly on the other side of Darwinism beginning to flourish, either half of my car colleagues are enormously stupid or else the science of Darwinism is compatible fully compatible with conventional religious beliefs. Now, I know that that takes us into a whole, like this really deep end of conversation about how much of it can be believed and how, what this and that. I, that's not my point right now. I'm just trying to say some atheists are more honest than others. And some who are committed to some form of evolutionary theory may be more honest than others and willing to talk. I was, I was sitting in the parking lot yesterday at Lowe's, and I had NPR on, and I was surprised to be listening. Did anybody catch NPR yesterday afternoon between 2.30 and 3? Because in it, they had a physicist from Cal State, Berkeley, or Tech, or somewhere over in the, on the West Coast. And they had a physicist on the line, and they're talking, and this is a fascinating interview. It's a TED Talk if you want to go find it. And he's talking about the law of entropy, and he's saying scientists are increasingly convinced because of the law of entropy that what happened early on was the universe was so exquisitely ordered, so amazingly exquisitely ordered, that, that there's gotta be something behind that order because everything else from that point on is moving into a place of disorder. And he's describing how this works all day long, all the time, and it's a really fascinating, anyway, the point is this. 
some scientists are more honest than others. And you need to be aware of that. If you're struggling, if you're sorting through science and faith, if you're sorting through what the Bible says and does not say about science, don't let that undermine your faith. We're not just saying check your mind at the door. In fact, no, we're saying you need to think really hard about this and listen to those you're listening to, read those you're listening to, think hard about who they were listening to and who they were listening to and who they were listening to. So, yeah, this, I would love to talk more. If you're interested in this, I'd love to talk more. We gotta move on because I don't, I don't wanna bog down in the faith and science question. I do wanna say this. The intention of the creed is to capture for us the indisputable, clear, doctrinal position of the Christian faith, which is that God made heaven and earth and all that is in it. And the Bible says this. The Bible teaches this over and over and over again. That, and, and so that brings us to the second point. Not only does the Bible teach us that God made all things, but he, the Bible consistently reaffirms again and again and again that the purpose of creation is for his glory, it displays his wisdom, and it reflects his craftsmanship. Those three things. Let me just roll those out for you and think with me about this. So the Bible never gets tired of pointing out that God wants to display his glory, his wisdom, and craftsmanship. Let's start with the greatness of his glory. Um, Psalm 19, so many of you know this. I, in fact, I have a friend every year when he's at the beach, he texts me back a picture of the sunrise and says, Psalm 19, the heavens declare, the heavens do what? They declare the glory of God and the sky shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech and night unto night reveals knowledge. They don't really speak the same language as you and I speak. They speak a language that doesn't have words, Psalm 19 says. It's constantly saying God made this beautiful world. And the Psalm even says the sunrise every morning is like somebody who runs a race across the sky and you can count on it every day and it's beautiful we just got an instagram text or post from the crew in uh, puerto rico and the it's a beautiful picture i'm going to try to show it in the second service it's a beautiful picture of a rainbow out over the i want to say the caribbean but it's actually the atlantic on that side i think but it's it's just a beautiful picture who makes all the beauty every day of the world and what is its purpose God and his glory. So clearly has God revealed his glory and his power through creation that the Apostle Paul will say in Romans chapter 1 that every person in the world stands before God without excuse. Every person in the world senses, knows, sees the glory of God to the point, you know, they may not be able to describe the gospel to you, but there's this, and they may not have received the information about Jesus, but they have received certain information from God. It's written out here, and it's written in here. And, and, and so Paul says, it's so powerful to see the glory of God in creation, both in, in the heavens and earth and, and in mankind, that all, all of mankind is without excuse before God. It's a fascinating argument. 
The Bible also speaks of the wisdom of God in creation. Psalm 104. Turn to Psalm 104, and I'll show you one of my favorite, all-time favorite psalms. Uh, when I want to teach on the doctrine of creation, that God is wise in the beauty of creation, I would turn to this psalm, right? Uh, if you want your children to see God at work in creation, turn to this psalm. It, it's, it's the psalm. Some call it the psalm of creation and providence. You find both creation and providence, Psalm 104. Listen for the wisdom and providence of God in creation, verse 1. Let me give you a second. I want you to see this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. In fact, the majesty of God will be seen throughout the rest of the psalm. Drop down to verse 5. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. Covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they took flight. The mountains rose and the valleys sank down and found their place. What is he describing? He's describing creation. Look at down, drop down to verse 14. You caused the grass to grow. And plants for man to cultivate that he might bring forth food from the earth. And wine to gladden the heart of man and oil to make his face shine. What's he describing? He's describing sort of the, the next layer of the beauty of creation where mankind is enjoying all of creation. Look at, drop down all the way to verse 24. Oh God, how manifold are your works in wisdom. Mark that word. In wisdom, you made them all the earth is full of your creatures. The earth is full of creatures who were made to give glory and praise back to the majestic God who made the whole world. So he's wise in all of creation, every aspect of creation. This is something that's foundational that we want to teach our children. It's something that the creed reiterates to, to help us not only form the minds and hearts of our children, but our own minds and hearts when we sometimes get suspicious about God's wisdom. And we do things our own way. That's why the Proverbs writer says, don't be wise, right? Don't be wise in your own eyes. So all of creation displays God's glory. This is this, like you could just marshal hundreds of verses. Like I've tried to just give you some of the main chair passages, but you could just do this over and over again. All of creation displays his glory, his wisdom, secondly, and then the last thing, this is probably my favorite, his craftsmanship. And to do that, I want to show you, uh, I'm going to turn to Job. If you want to turn to Job with me, I would invite you to do that. Uh, I, I don't want to turn this into a Bible drill this morning, but listen to Job 38. Now, and I want you to think for a moment about craftsmanship. Think about God's handiwork and his craftsmanship. Job 38, verses 4 and 5 say this. He's answering Job, right? So in terms of context, God the great almighty is answering Job and his, uh, what we would call his complaint. Like that's in quotes. God's answering Job and he says in verse 4, where were you? 
when I laid the foundation of the earth. Tell me if you understand who determined its measurements. Could you imagine drawing up the architectural plans? So who determined how wide the sanctuary space is going to be? Who, marked, who, who drew that out and marked it? Who determined how wide my sanctuary space, God saying, like how, who determined how big the world, do you know how big the world is? Who determined how big it is and who drew out the lines? Job, were you around when that, who stretched the line? We've got a line that we're working right now in the backyard on this fire pit, so I've stretched a line about 18 feet and I'm trying to make it tight so I can put a line leveler on it so we can get the stones right. And I'm just imagining God stretching, Job says, God says to Job, who stretched the line? How long is the line to measure this creation? That's an awesome thought. Look at verse 12. Do you start each day? Job, who commands the morning to come? Drop down to verse 31. Job, when you look up into the sky, can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, he's talking about the, uh, or loose the cords of Orion, right? He's talking about constellations. It's like God, God is saying, I, I'm hanging the constellations in space. Can you, uh, can you do that? Go to chapter 39, verse, one of my favorite sections of this is in verses 19 through 25, when he describes the horse, the horse, like who created the horse? He's, now he starts talking about animals in this section. He talks about an ostrich, he talks about uh, a donkey, he talks about a horse, but it, so in verses 19 through 25, he's basically, he's using, he's using his craftsmanship when it comes to the animal kingdom, and, he, and, and in verse uh, 19 he says, do you give the horse his power? I, I don't know if you've been around a horse lately, but just the neck of a horse is so filled with muscle, like when you see the horse shudder, and you see that, have you seen that recently where a horse just kind of shakes, like the, the neck muscles of a horse shuddering, God's calling that to mind to say, who made that? It's fascinating. This horse that I made is not afraid to go into battle. He laughs at fear. Where do you think he gets that? And then drop down, uh, the last one I want you to see is in verse 26 in the animal kingdom. He, he talks about the hawk and the eagle. And what does the hawk, what does the eagle display? God's craftsmanship. For a bird, for a bird to be able to soar at 120 feet in the air, or higher of course, but then from 100 feet to see a field mouse, smaller than this bottle, from 150 feet up, see it in the field and say, locked on. It's over for the mouse. Like how does that, where does that come from? Where does the, where does the intelligent, gyroscopic, 
spatial time and space awareness come from for a hawk to do this and make this adjustment and this adjustment and land on a square inch from 120 feet up. That's crazy. Where does that come from? Well, I'm probably, it's just probably random. No, it couldn't be random. It's fascinating to think of the craftsmanship of God. So what I want you to understand is the Bible describes over and over again, not just his glory and not just his wisdom, but also his craftsmanship to think about. And you are his craftsmanship. You are also his craftsmanship. Well, I had intended to share with you William Paley's evidence of design uh, at the turn of the 19th century. He's the guy who first popularizes the watchmaker argument, but there's no way we're gonna get to it because it's, it's too long. All right, we gotta get to the third point. If you wanna talk about the watchmaker, I would love to talk with you about that. In fact, here's a homework assignment. Go on YouTube and watch how the inside of a watch works. Just look at how the inside of a watch works and ask yourself if that could be an accident. Probably not, and that's where Paley goes. All right, I gotta get, you, I gotta get to the third point, because um, we're out of time. You are his best work. Not just you, I don't mean you in the sense of today's your birthday and we're gonna make a big deal out of you. I, that's not what I mean. I mean humanity. Humanity, including you, is God's best work. Humanity is God's best work. When, when we voice with our lips, when you say with your lips, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. When, when you say with your own lips, I believe God the Father made me heaven and earth and all that's in it. You, you are like, that's what you were made for. Let me see, so turn back to Genesis chapter one and see if I can just very briefly make this case for you. And, and then we will try to, try to wrap it up. Humanity is God's best work. As you're reading through Genesis one, and, and you know, there's overwhelming agreement about this from those who teach and study the book of Genesis. As you're reading through chapter one, you keep moving through the days of creation. When you get to verse 26, something different is happening. Verse 26 says, chapter one, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over this whole thing that we created. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on the earth. And God said, I've given you every plant, and he goes on and on, and then it, and then it ends, and it was very good. Mankind is the crowning achievement of the narrative. Mankind is the crowning achievement 
of the creation story. Mankind, man and woman are the only creatures in the story who get the image of God stamped on them. Clearly God's best work and made to live. In fact, I would say this, we were his workmanship in creation long before we became Jesus' workmanship in salvation. Think about that. This is why This is why I asked John and Sue, could we do the glory and majesty of his name again this Sunday? We did it last week. Some of you may be thinking, wait, I think we just sang that song last week. Yeah, you're right, we did. (laughs) And we did it again today because because the song is a beautiful rendition of Psalm 8, which is itself a commentary on Genesis 1, which is a reflection of who God is. Man and woman and all of their children and all of humanity have been crowned with glory and honor. That is, every single person in the world bears the image and glory of God, reflecting his divine design and goodness. So it's amazing to think about creation. But you want to be careful not to think about creation apart from him creating creatures that would bring glory back to himself. Like that's the purpose that we would please him and glorify him and honor him. We we bear God's image. We bear his signature. We bear his likeness, uh, I think, in a number of ways. Our reason and intelligence and creativity all come from God. Our relational capacity to love and to desire and to bless comes from God. And then another thing I think to consider is this. We belong to him. And that's really where I I want to end today. He made us, so he he has proprietary rights over us. He made us, and the potter's allowed to say to the clay, here's what I made you for. We belong to him. We belong to God. Unfortunately, here's how the story of the gospel goes. Unfortunately, it was not enough for man to live for God's glory early on. He soon wanted his own glory. It was not enough for us to belong to God and reflect his glory. Adam and Eve wanted to possess that glory for themselves, to be their own masters. Our first parents stole the glory from God. And in Genesis chapter 3, that's what happens. And so the fall of man comes it was a great break-in to steal God's glory that's what the fall is in fact from that point on man continued to spiral down in depravity so that Genesis 6 5 saw Genesis 6 5 says the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. It just kept spiraling into a worse and worse condition. And so deeply grieved was God that his creation had turned on him that he decided to pursue creation, pursue us, pursue man, pursue the creatures. And so... Let me show you how the creed works one more time. The first part of the creed is about creation. The second part of the creed 
is about redemption. So there's a turn, we could call it the gospel turn, in the space right there between the first and second part. I don't want you just to see that as white, empty space. It's not just white, empty space on the card. It's where the gospel turn happens. The writers of the creed were trying to help us see not only did God make us, but now he's willing to rescue and redeem us. And that's why we would say, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. So this happens over and over again in the Bible. There's a gospel turn. This is a biblical thought. The gospel turn. You know, I just mentioned every heart being evil continually in Genesis 6. There's a gospel turn right there a couple verses later when it says, but Noah found what? Grace or faith. But Noah found grace right? You can see this gospel turn over and over again in the Bible. It's in Romans. You're starting to read through Romans, and it's really bad, really bad, really bad. Chapter 5, in Adam all die, but in Christ all can be made alive. You see it in Hebrews. Uh, The book of Hebrews, amazingly, quoting Psalm 8, which is quoting Genesis 1, says the son of man the son of god he's better than he's better than all the angels he's better than everything right uh in fact he's unique because he's not a creature he's god's son who came to bring many sons back to glory it's a beautiful gospel turn in hebrews chapter 2. so this morning what i want you to think about is how it went bad in that white space, okay? So between the first part and the second part, something happened between creation and redemption, or else we don't need this whole section. We don't need Jesus. But we know we do need Jesus because not just the Bible, but our own lives teach us that the world is broken and we desperately need to be redeemed. So we want to pray today that God will help us to see our need for redemption in Christ. And then next Sunday, we start in to that redemption in Christ. Make sense? Will you pray with me? And we're going to sing uh, about our great God who has sent the only one who could rescue and redeem. Yeah, in fact, I'm going to just pray Hebrews 2 to close. How about that? What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man? God, thank you that you cared enough to send the son of man to rescue You made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. Oh, no human being was ever more crowned with glory and dignity and honor. And we long for the day when you will put everything under his feet. We do not yet see all things put under his feet, but God, we long for the day when he will put all things under his feet. Thank you for Jesus. 
Thank you that he's bringing many of us back. Thank you for his amazing glory and wisdom and craftsmanship. Thank you, Father, for your architect and plan of salvation. Jesus, thank you for, for coming, for living, for dying, rising. And Spirit of God, thank you for helping us to see and to believe. And help us to voice that in song, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing together.